Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined as always by Griffin Strom, who, like me, last week predicted that Michigan State would score more than 30 points against Ohio State. Michigan State ended up scoring just seven points in a 56 to 7 beatdown, which really the final score doesn't even do it justice because Ohio State was up 49-0 at halftime. Ohio State had 500 yards of offense at halftime. Really, an almost perfect 30 minutes of football for Ohio State, after which the Buckeyes were able to coast to the finish, take most of their starters out, and cruise to a 49-point victory over a top-10 team. Doesn't get much more impressive than that. No, it does not. And listen, when we did our score predictions We knew that Michigan State did not have a crazy high-flying pass attack per se, and we also knew that they liked to run the ball, but that Ohio State had been very good at stopping the run ever since basically week two. However, I still thought the caliber of offense that Michigan State was going to bring to the table was going to be a little bit a cut above some of the other teams that had a more well-balanced kind of attack. In the end, though, Ohio State bounced back from a performance against Purdue in which a lot of people were questioning, could this defense be a liability for Ohio State in some of these big games down the down the stretch. As it turns out, the defense was a huge strength for Ohio State, even if the offense kind of allowed the defense to be even better because of the points it put up on the board in a hurry there at the beginning of the game. Yeah, I mean, we talked last week about how, well, it's clear the strength of his team is the offense and the defense still has some work to do, is probably not going to be an elite unit. And I certainly haven't changed my mind that the offense is the strength of this team after seeing what the offense did in that first half against Michigan State, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I think we got to start by giving the defense credit because I feel like maybe I was a little too critical of the defense last week saying they are who we thought they were because then they go out against Michigan State. They were dominant. I mean, they held them well under 300 yards and didn't allow a single touchdown until the fourth quarter when basically all of their starters were out of the game. It was a very strong performance by... Ohio State's defense. And we talked last week about the fear that Ohio State fans have about if the offense has a bad day and the defense has a bad day in the same game, that could lead to a loss. But I think what Saturday showed us is that when the offense is at its best and the defense is at its best, just how good this Ohio State team can be. Particularly a group that was extremely impressive on Saturday, of course, was the Ohio State defensive line. The, the team actually awarded the entire defensive line, the defensive players of the game, honor after the game. And a, a huge part of that was Michigan State came into the game with a Heisman Trophy contender and Kenneth Walker running the ball on an absolute tear. I think he was averaging something like 170, 180 total yards per game in the past three or four or so games. Entering, obviously, we saw what Kenneth Walker did against Michigan, rushing for over, or I think like 197 yards and five touchdowns. Kenneth Walker only ended up with seven touches in the entire game, and he didn't do anything particularly spectacular with any of those touches. I think on one of the very first plays of the game for Michigan State, Haskell Garrett, who guaranteed at the skull session on Saturday beforehand that Ohio State would, quote, whoop their ass, which was a pretty bold claim. He was one of the first guys that started to back that up because I think in the first minute of the game or something like that, when Michigan State had the ball, Haskell Garrett came up with a big stop of Kenneth Walker, like a, for a one-yard gain or something like that. And that really set the tone for the defense, brought the energy 
and everyone else kind of followed suit after that. Yeah, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk, right? Because I think I made the comment to you after you came back from that skull session of hopefully this doesn't turn out like Brian Hartline comments before the Oregon game, where I think he said something along the lines of they think they know who we are, they don't. And uh, well, it it, is it turned out that Oregon did have Ohio State's number that day, but certainly Ohio State had Michigan State's number on Saturday. And like you said, uh, a huge performance of a defensive line who last week we talked about it, how Ohio State had only one pressure against Purdue. Certainly some of that had to do with the scheme, but even from talking to Zach Harrison and Haskell Garrett on Tuesday morning, they said that putting pressure on the quarterback was a big point of emphasis this past week after that Purdue game, and you could see that on Saturday. They did a great job of consistently putting pressure on Peyton Foreman. I think the last two weeks have really shown us just how important it is for Ohio State to have a, a pass rush that's affecting the quarterback because I don't think the back seven is good enough where – you can just re- rely on the coverage if you're not bringing pressure. I think for Ohio State to be really good on defense, it has to be getting pressure up front. But you just look at the talent on this defensive line. I mean, Ohio State really should be able to control the game in the trenches with guys like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett and all the other talent that they have up front. And we saw them do that against Michigan State. And I think that was the biggest difference for the defense. Now, that's not to say that other guys didn't play well, too. I think Denzel Burke and Cam Brown both played really well as those starting corners with seven banks out. And Ryan Day went out of his way to to compliment Tommy Eichenberg after a game. I think Tommy had his best game as a Buckeye, mostly in the second half, but Court Williams was a guy that really caught my eye on Saturday. He had seven tackles with two tackles for loss. He's a guy I know some fans have been going, why aren't we seeing him play more? It's a valid question to ask after seeing how well he played against Michigan State. Craig Young, another guy that we can uh, mention who actually made his first start against Michigan State, playing that cover safety role. They're using him kind of as a hybrid linebacker safety, the kind of role we thought we'd see Craig Young play, but hadn't really played that much this year. So you're seeing more and more guys come along and start to make plays for this defense. And it felt like on Saturday, everything just came together on that side of the ball. Yeah, let's look at the numbers here as well, just to, to really drive home exactly what Ohio State did against this Michigan State offense. Only 224 total yards for Michigan State, 158 yards passing, 66 yards on the ground. At halftime, Peyton Thorne had already thrown more incompletions against Ohio State than he had thrown in any full game against any other opponent all season, which is kind of a crazy statistic on its own. But then why do we think that Michigan State abandoned the run game with their Heisman Trophy contender? That was a big thing on a lot of people's minds. That's what one of our forum posters actually asked. John Glor 8287 asks, why do you think MSU abandoned running Kenneth Walker so quickly? I would have assumed MSU would try and control the clock and keep possession but on the first three drives, yada. But yeah, so so only seven touches for Kenneth Walker. Now, my first inclination when getting that question is the Ohio State offense was putting so much pressure on Michigan State early by scoring 21 first quarter points. And by that point, after you've scored a couple touchdowns, you can't, you don't really have the luxury if you're Michigan State of just trying to control the clock, run the ball, milk, milk time, and set up the play action pass. At that point, it's like, you kind of got to get moving to try to keep pace of this this crazy Ohio State offense, and they just weren't capable of doing that with the passing game, and so the kind of the run game goes out the window at that point. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't really think it's ever a smart strategy when your running back is your best player to get him only seven touches in a big game. I mean, I, I think there are definitely uh, valid questions there. I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not their offensive coordinator. I'm not sure why uh, they decided to call the game the way they did, but I think it's pretty questionable that Kenneth Walker didn't even have the most carries on his team for the game. I think certainly because there were a couple plays there earlier in the game where we saw Kenneth Walker make some nice plays. And I think had they committed to that a little bit more, maybe he breaks a few. Maybe he makes some big plays. I think certainly it did get to a point where they didn't have much choice but to pass the ball. But I think the point that John Glor was making was they didn't even early in the game, they, they went away from him. Like they didn't even they didn't ever give Kenneth Walker a chance to get going. And so I don't think that was good strategy by Michigan State. But I will say the biggest thing that surprised me from this game was not the fact that Kenneth Walker got bottled up. Because I I felt like we've seen Ohio State do this before. You think of the last two Clemson games against Travis Etienne. You think of Saquon Barkley a few years ago. We've seen Ohio State go into these matchups against elite running backs and pretty much shut them down. So I'm not shocked that happened. I'm more shocked that Peyton Thorne went 14 to 36 and only threw for 158 yards. Cause you know, I, we do our predictions piece on Saturday morning and like, I felt like I got most of them right. Like I, I said, Chris Olave would score his two touchdowns and break the record. I, I got that right. I said, I thought the Ohio state run defense would be able to keep Kenneth Walker in check. Got that right. And I said, I thought there'd be a lot of passing yards, which for Ohio State was right because C.J. Stroud threw for 432 yards and most of those yards coming in one half. But I also said that I thought Michigan State would make some big plays through the air, and that never happened. Yeah, Jalen Naylor did not play for Michigan State, one of the wideouts. Jaden Reed, another one of Thorne's top targets, only ended the game with two catches for 28 yards. Nobody had more than 46 yards, although they did spread the ball around a little bit with the Michigan State pass attack. Dan, let's get into a little bit the Ohio State offense and what they did, because that, I think, is going to be a lot of people's first takeaway, the, the headlining kind of thing about this game, because records were being set left and right by the Ohio State offense, particularly in the passing department, with C.J. Stroud again throwing for five or more touchdowns in his second straight game. That's his, his fourth 400-yard passing game, I believe. And with six touchdown passes in the first half alone, he already tied the all-time Ohio State record. Of course, he never got that seventh. So we've got all kinds of Ohio State quarterbacks sitting on that six touchdown mark in terms of a single game record. CJ Stroud also set another record in the game, completing 17 straight passes, which was one more than JT Barrett and Justin Fields had both done in the past. All those things happening in the first half alone. Dan, what were your takeaways from what we saw to CJ Stroud, particularly in that record-setting first half? Kenny G's record lives on. Kenny, the legend of Kenny Guyton lives on. CJ Stroud did tie his record for a most not just the most touchdown passes, but the most touchdown passes in one half, because Kenny Guyton also had six touchdown passes in one half. Never forget that. But fantastic performance by C.J. Stroud. Should also mention that he did break a record with 17 consecutive completions between the first and second quarter. So he, he was just on fire in this game. I mean, he, he was as sharp as we've seen him. It seems like we've seen him get better and better as the year has progressed, and I think Saturday was C.J. Stroud at his best, just making great decisions all game, delivering accurate passes all game. I mean, I mean, the numbers are certain. I mean, if he had played more than one possession in the second half, he was well on his way to breaking the Ohio State passing record because Ohio State's never had 
a 500-yard quarterback. If they had left him in for even one more drive, there's a chance he would have gotten that. And so uh, phenomenal performance by C.J. Stroud, a performance that has made him potentially the Heisman Trophy frontrunner. And again, I, I it's funny because two months ago, we were getting asked if Ohio State should be playing Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers instead of C.J. Stroud. And now we're talking about C.J. Stroud being a potential Heisman Trophy winner. So for one, it goes to show that you got to breathe a little bit. You got to give guys time. You can't overreact the first time somebody has a bad game. But secondly, it it just speaks to the growth of C.J. Stroud and how much better he's gotten as the year has progressed. And this Heisman race, I think, is going to be fascinating here. If if you look at the numbers between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, they're about as close to each other as they could possibly be. So I really think this Heisman race is going to come down to these final two games. It might come. It might ultimately be as simple as how does Bryce Young do against Georgia? Can Alabama beat Georgia? It really could come down to that. But C.J. Stroud has put himself in a position here where if he can finish the season strong with two more good games, he's going to have as good of a case as anybody to win the Heisman. I think it is a two-man race between him and Bryce Young at this point. And certainly, you think of back to early in the year and the, the quarterback controversy and all of that is is dead and buried now. We are now talking about a guy who is one of the elite players in college football and a guy who is one of, far from the only, one of the reasons why Ohio State has the best offense in the country right now. Yeah, it's almost a catch-22, though, and this is one of the things that, that Ryan Day has been beating on the drum of lately is that, listen, maybe if, if C.J. Stratt hadn't had quite as much success in that first half, he plays longer in the second half and ends up having an even crazier statistical performance because he has to play all four quarters. You look at what Bryce Young did against Arkansas this past weekend. We were all ready to, to almost give C.J. Stroud the Heisman Award after that first half against Michigan State. Then you come back and see what Bryce Young does in a four-quarter game against Arkansas that was closer towards the end of the game, ends up breaking Alabama's all-time passing record, I believe, with five touchdowns as well. So he's not letting that award go right into the hands of C.J. Stroud. He's going to definitely put up a strong fight for that award towards the end of the season. Of course, another thing people point out is that C.J. Stroud actually missed a game, of course, against Akron. So that was another chance for him to maybe have padded those stats a little bit more. But but his stats look eerily similar to Bryce Young's entering the final game of the regular season now. Another player that had a huge game and broke a record for Ohio State, we mentioned it earlier, Chris Olave who seemed like he was due for one. You can never, nobody's ever really due for one, but it seemed like Chris Olave was because Jackson Smith and Jigba a couple games ago had his huge record-setting performance for Ohio State. Then Garrett Wilson comes back, it's his turn, four touchdowns the week before. And now Chris Olave comes back in this game. It's funny how it works out, Dan, because it seemed like Chris Olave's really due for one and he ends up breaking the all-time Ohio State career receiving touchdowns mark with his getting his 34th and his 35th, I believe, in the game. He also had led the Buckeyes with 140 yards. It was the first time in several games that he had had a 100-yard game. Had seven catches as well. Did most of his damage, of course, in the first half as well, much like Stroud. And yeah, it was certainly the Ohio Stadium finale, the final home game on senior day that anyone would have wanted to see Chris Olave have in that game. Yeah, I don't think you could script it better than that, really. A guy to break the record to do it in such a big game and to do it in his final home game as a Buckeye. You could tell from talking to Chris Olave after a game that it, it really did mean a lot to him to 
break that record. He said on Tuesday that he still has the uh, ball from Saturday uh, that was given to him after the game at his house. Uh, he said his dad actually wanted to take it home, but he wanted to keep it with him to cherish it. So you could tell that meant a lot to Chris Olave. But you just look at the numbers again from this game for the receivers. Chris Olave, seven catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, seven catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 10 receptions, 105 yards, one touchdown. Just yet another reminder that we are witnessing history with this group. That this is one of, it, it, it already is the best receiving core in Ohio State history. We don't need to qualify with one-off anymore. This is the best receiving core Ohio State has ever had. And it's one of the best receiving cores we've ever seen in college football. That is how good these three guys are. That is not hyperbole. It's it's not a homer take. It's it's just the truth. These three guys are phenomenal. Two of them are probably going to be first-round NFL draft picks next year. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba will be a first-round NFL draft pick the year after that. It's like every week we see something spectacular from at least one of these guys we certainly did from Olave on Saturday, and really, we saw fantastic games from all three of them. Now, Dan, after that performance, of course, and with Oregon's loss as well over the weekend, of course, Oregon was ranked number three ahead of Ohio State, which was at number four in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee rankings last week. Does Ohio State deserve to climb up not only into that third spot, of course, over Oregon, but also above Alabama, who's had a couple of closer calls here against some SEC opponents while we've seen Ohio State, especially the last two weeks, really putting the, the foot on the pedal and really dominating these Big Ten teams that, that have also been ranked in the top 25 as well. Yeah, well, we're recording this before the college football playoff rankings came out on Tuesday night, so we won't get into predicting who's where because you guys will already know who's where by then. But to me, in my mind, Ohio State is the number two team in the country right now. To me, Georgia's clearly number one. Everybody agrees on that. To me, Ohio State is the second best team in college football right now. I think the way they've played in these last couple of games, to me, I think they are the biggest threat to Georgia. I, I think they're the second best team. I think both Ohio State and Alabama have explosive offenses. I think Ohio State's a little bit better than Alabama on defense. I think that'd be a great game. I don't know that I see it being the semifinal game that it would be right now because I think one way or another, it's either Alabama's going to beat Georgia and then they're going to be the number one seed or Alabama's going to lose another game and then they're going to be out of a top four. So I think ultimately from a ranking standpoint with the CFP, it's all going to work itself out where barring one of them losing this week, either Georgia or Alabama is going to be the number one seed. Ohio State, if it wins out, is going to be the number two seed. And then we'll see what happens after that. Oregon's loss, a big opportunity for Cincinnati now, which I think you know, really does have a pretty clear path into the playoff if it wins out that four spot. If Georgia beats Alabama, it it gets pretty wide open there now. Like, Does Notre Dame get in? Does Big 12 champ get in? Potentially a, a two-loss team sneak in for the first time? It's going to be really, I think if you're a committee, you're really hoping Alabama beats Georgia because then you could still... That would probably set up an Ohio State-Georgia semifinal, which I think a lot of people are looking at as potential national championship game right now. That would be one heck of a semifinal. But I just think right now, in terms of which teams I think have the best chance of winning the national championship, 
to me, it's, it's Georgia and it's Ohio State, and it's that matchup we've that hypothetical matchup we've been talking about for weeks of the best defense in the country versus the best offense in the country. I think that's exactly what it would be, and I think the way Ohio State's offense is clicking right now, it, it gives Ohio State a chance against anybody because I think even a Georgia. I, I don't know that any defense is going to be able to really stop this Ohio State offense with how explosive it is. And so I think, uh, to me, Ohio State absolutely deserves to be the number two team in the country. I think they're you know absolutely a, a national championship caliber team right now. Still got to win uh, two more games to get there to the college football playoff, including a really big game coming up this weekend against Michigan. But... I think we've, we're seeing it come together here for this Ohio State football team where you can feel like this is a team that has the potential to accomplish anything. Yeah, and if you want to know how State might fare against a super elite defense, they will get tested here with a, potentially a couple matches matchups against two of the best defenses in the country, with one being Michigan, who they will take on this weekend, and another potentially, if they win, Wisconsin, who is ranks very high in most defensive statistical categories as well. One last thing here as we wrap up kind of Michigan State talk. Dan, another one of our listeners, Monclava Buckeye, asks, and I'm sure you've got a great answer for this, is it true when they met after the game, Ryan Day asked Mel Tucker who his agent is? Is that something that's purported to have happened? I don't think so, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's has to do with the fact that Mel Tucker probably getting a big extension and a big payday here moving forward, despite the fact that he wasn't very competitive against Ryan Day and his Buckeyes. Yeah, I would just say I hope Mel Tucker signed the dotted line on that extension before the game on Saturday. You know, I think he's I think he's still going to get that contract extension. If you're a Michigan State fan, maybe you're questioning a little bit, well, should we, do we really want to give this guy $95 million for 10 years? Are we sure about that after seeing how poorly Michigan State played on Saturday? Because, I mean, I, I am still surprised by how that game played out. I I we both thought Ohio State would beat Michigan State, but to just see it be such a beatdown, such a ass-whooping, as Haskell Garrett predicted, that I, I didn't see coming. So all credit to Ohio State on what I think certainly we've seen plenty of impressive performances this season, but certainly the most complete and biggest statement win we've seen this season against Michigan State. And then the ass whooping was such that Ryan Day even admitted after the game, and we know that the team, they work the game all year round, right? We hear that all the time. But Ryan Day actually admitted after the game that in the second half there against Michigan State, his mind wandered to the upcoming rivalry game, even while the Michigan State game was still going on. His, the gears started to turn in the head of Ryan Day, starting to think about Jim Harbaugh and this Michigan Wolverines team, which has certainly bounced back in a major way after a very disappointing two and four 2020 campaign, obviously probably hamstrung a bit by COVID-19 and things like that. But this is setting up to be a very big game, the biggest rivalry game in at least a few years. Dan, just how big is this game? And since it's the highest stakes since when in this rivalry, would you say? Well, it's pretty wild that Ryan Day actually admitted that that in a game against a top 10 opponent, he was already thinking about the next game in the second half. But I think he wanted to make it very clear in that Saturday press conference that they were going to take this next week seriously and send the message to his players that they needed to turn the page quickly because 
It doesn't get any bigger than this. I mean, we talked about last week, it doesn't get much bigger than that, but it really doesn't get any bigger than this, does it? I mean, you're talking about the big rivalry game, the game that, as Ryan Day constantly says, that they work for 365 days a year. They've actually been working on this one for 730 days because they didn't get to play Michigan last year. So right there, you start with that. Even if Michigan was 6-5 and right now, there'd be a lot of hype going into this game just because we didn't get to see it last year. But then you add in the fact that Michigan is also 10-1 and coming into this game. Michigan is also playing for the Big Ten title. Michigan is also playing for a spot in the college ball playoff. The stakes going into this game could not be higher. I think certainly 2016 is a, a game that you can think of as, as comparable with it being, a, again, a matchup of top five teams who were, were playing for Big Ten and college ball playoff hopes. And we all remember how epic that game was with uh, Curtis Samuel's Brooklyn dagger in overtime after the still much disputed fourth down JT Barrett just barely got the first down stretching out on that run, a game that's certainly going to still be talked about by fans of both teams for many years to come. But, you know, this game, certainly the hype going into it is right there at that same level as it was five years ago. I think you have two teams here who both... You know, Ohio State's not going to admit that it has any extra motivation, but I still think the fact that they didn't play last year, we remember the whole, quote, hang 100 on them thing from last year with Ryan Day. I think there's a little something extra that Ohio State really wants to beat Michigan again this year. And I think certainly for Michigan, they have not beaten Ohio State in a decade. They've gotten blown out in their last two games against Michigan or against Ohio State. They really want to turn the table. So I, I think this game is as big as it gets. College game day is going to be there again. Uh, Certainly, I think going to be one of, if not the highest rated college football game on TV of the season today. And and this is what we want, right? I mean, we went into this year. I mean, I'll admit, I, I did not expect us to be in this position with Michigan going into the year. I did not think we were going to be talking about a top five, 10 and one team with Michigan after we saw Michigan go just two and four last year. But this is what we want. This is what you want going into this rivalry, especially considering how lopsided the games have been in recent years, I, I think you start to wonder, okay, is, is this rivalry going to lose just a bit of its luster because Michigan is not playing at the same level as Ohio State? But at least going into this year's game, Michigan has put itself in a position where it is effectively in the same position as Ohio State going into this game, playing for the same things. And that has the anticipation going into this game at really an all-time high. Yeah, and Ohio State's going for the ninth straight win, which I did not realize this until I I looked up the the back-and-forth games list of the all-time series that it would actually tie Michigan's all-time record of nine straight wins against Ohio State if Ohio State wins on Saturday. But yeah, it's a lot of talk about with Ohio State winning so many times in a row Does that hurt the rivalry? Is it really even still a rivalry when Ohio State's been so dominant over the last 17 to 20 years? But I think, like you say, it would be one thing if Michigan had really fallen off and was barely winning games in the Big Ten. And at that point, it's okay. If if Michigan was Rutgers all of a sudden, it would take something off of the rivalry. But 
I truly believe that with Michigan being still as successful as it's been, winning double-digit games in a season, that still keeps a lot of luster on the rivalry and makes it still very exciting because, I mean, look at the odds. The last couple of weeks, we were kind of gawking at the, the odds with Ohio State being favored by almost three touchdowns against Michigan State, favored by 19 or whatever it was against Purdue. Ohio State's only favored by like a touchdown, eight points over Michigan in this game, which goes to show you that it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion in the eyes of the odds makers. Yeah, that's interesting to me because you do look at what happened in the last couple of games between these teams at Ohio State blowing them out, and I think there's reason to believe that could happen again, but that's not what Vegas thinks. I mean, if I was reading on Tuesday morning about how I think like 80% of the bets have been on Ohio State, yet the lines really haven't moved, which tells you that Vegas thinks this is going to be a close game and that... Vegas thinks Michigan has a chance to win. Vegas is comfortable with a lot of people betting on Ohio State thinking that Michigan could cover it at least. So I guess the question is, Griffin, what is it about Michigan that gives the odds makers reason to believe that this is not going to be another Ohio State blowout? Well, I think one of the key reasons is that, of course, Michigan revamped their defense over the offseason, getting rid of Don Brown, of course, bringing in Mike McDonald. Day said, Day was asked on Tuesday, well, just how different is this defense really after the changes that were made in terms of personnel? Brian Day says it's significantly different. They're playing an NFL-style defense. Don Brown had more of a college-oriented system. And the changes have yielded tangible results for the Wolverines because They rank number nine in total defense, number seven in scoring defense, number eight in passing defense in the country right now. Top 10 across the board in those huge defensive statistics in terms of national teams. And yet, and I mean, specifically with the defensive personnel, you talk about a couple of pass rushers in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajobu who have each have 10 sacks. I mean, nobody on Ohio State's approaching those kind of numbers and are doing a lot of impressive things and really shutting down opposing offenses. Yeah, I think it's noteworthy what he said about it being a different scheme and more of an NFL scheme. Comparing Don Brown's to a college scheme, I almost felt like that was like a a little bit of a subtweet there toward Don Brown because we saw those last couple games. Ryan Day definitely had Don Brown's number. I mean, there was no doubt about it that Don Brown got badly outcoached in those games and that Ohio State found the formula to pick that defense apart. But it's a different defense. It's a different defensive coaching staff. So we shouldn't necessarily assume that just because Ohio State's got this elite offense this year, that it's going to be able to pick Michigan apart as easily as it was able to in the last couple games. And certainly, like you said, Hutchinson and Ajabo are a big part of that as pass rushers off the edge. Passing defense in general is ranked eighth in the country of only 178.4 yards allowed per game. So I think this is a game we think back a couple weeks ago to the Nebraska and Penn State games where Ohio State struggled to run the ball and and in turn struggled to finish off drives in the red zone. I think if there's a concern going into this game on Ohio State's offense, it's that. It's if Ohio State needs to be able to lean on its ground game to – move the ball down the field, will it be able to do so? Will it be able to consistently finish off those drives in the red zone? Because this is certainly going to be one of the toughest tests that C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State passing offensive faced. I still think 
Stroud and the receivers are going to get theirs, but it probably isn't going to come as easily as it did against the literal 130th ranked pass defense in Michigan State. And so Ohio State has to be prepared to be able to get those tough yards on the ground in this game. For sure. But, you know, one of the questions I have about this matchup is Ohio State, it's not like Ohio State hasn't faced a couple of big name defensive ends in recent weeks even, or even obviously Michigan State's pass defense was ranked very low, but what was Purdue, I think, had a pretty highly ranked pass defense, like top 15 in the country or something like that. And it just didn't matter in that game. And like we saw in the 2018 game, that was a big, Michigan's defense was ranked super high in that game. And I think it was the number two overall defense in the country at that time or something like that. And it just didn't matter against Ohio State's offense. Now Michigan's made a lot of changes defensively and probably for that very reason, the fact that the, the what they had going on wasn't good enough to stop Ohio State. It begs the question, is it going to matter in this game? Or is Ohio State going to make de- Michigan's defense look like a lower tier defense like we've seen Ohio State's offense make defenses look in recent games here? Yeah, I'm not overly concerned about the pass rushers, to be honest, because like you said, there's been other recent matchups against hyped up pass rushers and Ohio State's pretty much shut them down I mean George Karloftis really didn't do anything against them and he's a guy who's being talked about as a top 10 pick in the next NFL draft so certainly I think the fact that Michigan has two of them it it is probably going to be the biggest challenge for the pass protection this year because they've got two elite pass rushers not just one but the way we've seen them really just handle everyone in pass protection I'm still not particularly concerned about that. I I think for me, I think the biggest question for Ohio State is going to be against what's a pretty good run defense too. Is is Ohio State going to be able to grind out those tough yards on the ground when they need them? To me, that's the question I have. Yeah, and I'll just say, if Michigan is able to get to Stroud, I do think that will be a a major part of the game because C.J. Stroud, after what Ohio State did to Michigan State, he said that he was basically just chilling. He literally said, I was just chilling back there against Michigan State in terms of the protection he got from his offensive line. If he's not chilling, things could definitely go differently, and, and, and Stroud could have a much harder day for Ohio State. Yeah, and he was said that against Michigan State that he basically, basically kind of knew what they were going to do and was able to pick him apart. Michigan might make the picture a little bit uh, more confusing for C.J. Stroud. And you talk about Ohio State needing to get yards on the ground. That's actually what Michigan does best on offense, of course. They have the number 15 ranked rushing offense in the country. A two-headed monster running back for Michigan, Hassan Haskins, who we saw in that 2019 matchup. Blake Corum, a second-year guy. He's a guy that was really hot to start out the year with a few hundred-yard games. Lately, though, it's been Haskins, who I think has run for 100 yards in four of the last six games. The pair of them have combined for eight, over 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns on the ground alone. However, Blake Corum is kind of a situation to watch here this week because he's not played in the past two games with an ankle injury, I believe it is. But I, from what I've seen, I think that it said that he could be back for Ohio State. And I think if you're a Michigan player and you can play that week and vice versa, that you're going to do everything in your power to play in that rivalry game for sure. But that is definitely a key part of the Michigan offense because Frankly, the passing game has not been a huge strength of the system with uh, Cade McNamara. Yeah, I just think if you're Ohio State's defense right now and you hear about another team coming in that likes to lean heavily on the ground game, I think you're licking your chops at that because we just saw what happened last week when Kenneth Walker was supposed to be the toughest test they had faced on the ground since the first two games of the season and Ohio State shut him down. And so 
I think, to me, I think for Michigan to have a chance to win this game, Cade McNamara is going to have to be at his best. He's, he's going to have to be able to make plays for the air. And it certainly sounds like he thinks he can. I think he made a comment on Monday night. I, I don't remember the exact quote. I don't have it up in front of me, but about how, you know, basically they're looking to take advantage of the Ohio State's pass defense. They think some flaws in there, and I'm sure that will be some bulletin board material for Ohio State this week. I don't think it's necessarily untrue. I mean, I still think the pass defense is the most vulnerable part of this Ohio State team. And so I do think that if Michigan can protect Cade McNamara, like we saw with Purdue a couple weeks ago, if, if Michigan can protect him, if Michigan can neutralize the pass rush, McNamara's done a good job of getting the ball out quickly and, and being accurate on short passes, getting the, getting the ball in, into guys' hands. And so I do think there's going to be some opportunities for McNamara in the passing game. I think my question is, can McNamara in the passing game, if that's what Michigan needs to be able to rely on to win the game, can it? Can the passing offense put them over the top? Because if you look at all season, they haven't had more than three passing touchdowns in a game. They, they haven't had a lot of big games through the air. And so I think they're coming off maybe their best passing game of the year against Maryland. So that's a good sign if you're Michigan, but... We saw C.J. Stroud carve up Maryland, too. So Maryland does not have a good passing defense. This is going to be a, a tougher test for Cade McNamara and the Wolverines. So to me, I think that's the big question that I have on that side of the ball is, can Cade McNamara really take advantage of the weaknesses that Ohio State has in its pass defense? Because I think Ohio State's run defense is playing too well for Michigan to just be able to play ground and pound all game. Yeah, I will say personally with the Cade McNamara comments, my take on that with the, the bulletin board material is that I think everyone really wants there to be something a little more in there, something for us to all get excited about, the trash talk, something that the, the players can really latch onto on, e on either side with the bulletin board material. But I, I don't know. I think it, it's getting made a little bit more than it probably actually is because you got to think, you, you got to put yourselves in the player's shoes sometimes and think, when you're getting asked a certain question, there's only so, so, so many ways you can answer it. And I think he's really just trying to say he, it's less about the Ohio State defense and more about what the Michigan State's off, Michigan's offense is going to do, which is kind of a, a generic answer that everybody gives. Kind of, It's not about what they're doing, it's about what we're doing. And so I don't read too much into what he was saying there. Now, do I believe that McNamara and the Michigan passing offense is going to be able to do enough damage? I think it could do a little bit of damage. It's one of those things where... We've seen the highs and the lows of this Ohio State pass defense. Which group is going to show up? Is the consistency going to be there from week to week? If the team that just played Michigan State shows up, I think the, we could see definitely a more lopsided score. But I've also seen Michigan, even in that 2019 game, remember how good the Ohio State defense was in 2019 against the pass up until that point? Michigan made some plays against that defense and was able to, to come up with some big plays in the passing game and score touchdowns early on. So you never really know. One question that Crandog62 asks us, Dan, is how does McNamara compare to the last Michigan quarterback we saw in terms of a matchup with Ohio State, which of course was Shea Patterson? Do you have any thoughts on that question in comparison? Yeah, I don't know, but I've really watched Cade McNamara enough for me to really give an accurate evaluation of how he compares to Shea Patterson, if I'm going to be completely honest. I think, I think Shea Patterson was a guy who always had the tools to be 
a great quarterback, but never really was. I think Cade's a guy that's probably, I would say, just looked at what he's accomplished in his stats. I think I'd say he's probably doing more with less than Shea Patterson did, if that makes sense. Because I don't think Cade is, is as gifted as Shea Patterson. I think if you have a more gifted quarterback on the roster is J.J. McCarthy, and we'll probably see a little bit of J.J. on Saturday as well because they have been bringing him in and using him a little bit situationally as both a passer and a runner, a, a five-star guy who I, I remember made some comments a couple years ago because Ohio State chose Kyle McCord over him. So another guy that will have a chip on his shoulder going into this game for sure. But I think Cade's a guy, I think he's efficient. I, I think he's 14 touchdowns, two interceptions this year. So he's not a guy that makes many mistakes. He, he very rarely turns the football over, but you don't see him make a ton of big plays through the air. And part of that goes back to the fact that they lost their best receiver, Ronnie Bell, in the first game of the year. And so there aren't really any elite receivers in this group. We saw Andrell Anthony have a really big game against Michigan State, I believe that was. He really just had that one big game. That's about it. I know Donovan Edwards, a guy who Ohio State recruited, had a pretty big game as both a runner and a receiver uh, this past week. So he could be a guy to watch as a, a potential breakout player out of a backfield in this game. But, you know, it. C.J. Stroud has a big advantage that Caden McNamara does not. And that's that C.J. Stroud has three elite, elite receivers. Cade McNamara does not have any. And so and I think that's a big part of the equation here, too, is we, we know Ohio State's secondary and its linebackers, they have their flaws in pass coverage, but they're not going. We've talked about matchups with guys like David Bell and Jahan Dotson earlier in the year. Michigan doesn't have that kind of player. In, it, in its receiving core. And so I don't think Ohio State needs to be as worried about the threat of big plays through the air in this game as maybe in some other games. Well, Dan, how elite really can you say that the Ohio State receivers are considering none of them are finalists for the Belitnikoff Award? <laughs> I feel like there's enough Ohio State media who have fired off takes about that, but we probably don't need to discuss it too much. I agree. But Dan, like we said before, Ohio State's only favored by eight points in this matchup. We already hit on this a little bit, but does that seem too low to you? Should there be a wider spread there on the odds? And is there reason to be worried about Michigan winning the game? Do we expect the game to be close? Are we headed toward another Buckeye blowout? Well, let's start with the first one, the first question about the spread. I mean, I, I was surprised by how low it was, especially after watching Saturday's game against Michigan State because I know there were some early lines out last week that had Ohio State as like a six and a half or seven point favorite. I thought the win against Michigan State would bump it up a few points, but it really didn't. And so I, I think that's interesting that Vegas has stayed pretty steady here on one score game here, just over a touchdown favorite for Ohio State. Because as we mentioned earlier, but most of the money's been coming in on Ohio State, and yet they haven't really moved the lines at all. So, you know, that always makes me wonder what does Vegas know that I don't? Because they're usually pretty good at doing this. Like, what what gives them the confidence that because obviously that low line is pushing the action toward Ohio State. What gives Vegas the confidence? that they're not going to take a big loss 
on everybody voting, everybody betting on Ohio State to win by only two scores. You know what I mean? I mean, I, w- what is it about that? So that's kind of made me, you know, rethink, or I'm not going to say rethink, but second guess the way I see this game going because it's just like, what do they know that I don't? Because the last two games against Purdue and Michigan State, I thought were going to be more competitive than they were. And, and I thought the spread was too high, and, it, and they weren't at all because Ohio State easily covered in both of them. And so I felt like Vegas had a good read on those games of even though they're ranked two ranked teams and people think they're going to be close, Vegas was pretty much on the ball. They were back, those games were not going to be that close that, that Ohio State was going to be able to win big. And this week, they're, they're not seeing it that way. So that's interesting to me. Because I, I I tend to always talk myself into thinking like these games are going to be closer as we go through the week. And, and you look at the different matchups and you just never know how things are going to play out. And I always I'm always a little hesitant to pick like a really lopsided score or a score that I think is going to uh, be a lot more lopsided than other people are going to pick because I don't want to be a homer. I don't want to, I don't, it never looks good if you pick a blowout of the team, your team you're covering to win by a blowout and then they end up losing. Uh, that never looks good. But with all of that being said, my gut tells me Ohio State's going to win big in this game. And, and I, I, I feel like I got to go with my gut on that when it comes to making a score prediction. Because to, to 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 base what's going to happen off this year, base what's going to happen this year off of 2018 and 2019 is a very dangerous game, and it's probably not the game to play. But I, I still can't, I can't get those games out of my mind. Where again, 2018 Ohio State was an underdog, and it wins by 23. La- last year, what did they win by? 28 points, I think, and they were a, a nine point or two years ago, they won by 28 points. They were a, a nine-point favorite. So it's I can't get those games out of my head in terms of o- Ohio State dominating those games that were supposed to be close. I think Michigan's defense is legit, but I also think Ohio State's offense is on a real roll right now. I think we, we've consistently seen Ohio State rise to the occasion in this game and play its best football in this game. So I don't really see any reason to think that it won't. And then on the other side of a ball, to me, it goes back to what we talked to about, I feel like Ohio State's going to be able to slow down the run game. I, I feel like Michigan's going to have to be able, going to have to lean on its passing game. And I don't know if that's a, I don't really think that's going to be a recipe for success for Michigan in this game. So I'm going to say Ohio State 52, Michigan 24. Wow. A big blowout prediction from Dan Hope there. I've, I've been sticking with my guns a little bit the last couple weeks, thinking that Ohio State was not going to blow out these teams as much as they ended up doing, of course. This week, I'm, I'm not going to pick a blowout as widespread as yours, certainly. I'm thinking in my head right now, and, and I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if Ohio State put up another unbelievable performance on offense. But we've also seen this season that we were expecting a game like that, like say maybe against a Nebraska or even against Penn State, despite their defense being really good, that they came out and kind of fell a little bit flat. So it's not like it's impossible for the Ohio State offense to slip up a little bit, especially against the defensive caliber of of Michigan's. I'm going to predict, I think the number that that sounds good is 41-27 Ohio State in my mind right now. 
That's fair. Yeah, it's, it's probably about as disparate as we've been on predictions this year. That, that's probably a good thing, though, because I do. I feel like the last four games, like our reads on these games have not been good because I feel like the past month, it's like whenever we think Ohio State's going to dominate and win big, it, it ends up being close. But whenever we go conservative for our predictions and predict a close game, Ohio State blows them out. So that's the other thing that kind of keeps making me second guess. But it's like, man, I feel like whenever I think Ohio State's going to win easily, they don't. And whenever I think they're going to be in a battle, uh, they win easily. So it, it can be hard to forecast. That's why they play the games, right? The games aren't played on paper. But usually I, I try to kind of stick with the paper I make in my prediction. But this week... I'm going more on feel. I really am. I'm just going more on feel that we've seen Ohio State do this before. We haven't seen Jim Harbaugh's team deliver in these games. I do think Michigan has made a really impressive turnaround this year. I give them a lot of credit for that. And I won't be shocked if this ends up being a much more competitive game than I'm predicting it to be. But in, in terms of just going with the prediction that I think is most likely to happen the way I see it, I've got Ohio State winning big. There's just something about the mystique of the rivalry where even with all the Ohio State wins, it's like there's something about you just you, you do just kind of have to throw the the records out of the window at a certain point. I think that's why the odds are probably so close as they are, because there's just something about the rivalry where anything could happen, even if we've seen the same result in the game for almost an entire decade straight. Just glad we have this game to actually talk about this year, and we're going to actually get to go to Ann Arbor. I know a lot of Ohio State fans think this game should be in Columbus, but regardless, I'm just glad there is a game to talk about this year. Uh, it was certainly very weird not to have an Ohio State-Michigan game last year, so to have it back this year is a great thing, and I think we're going to see some fireworks, too. I think there's some bad blood from both of these teams. Uh, I, I don't think Michigan's too happy about the insinuation that they chose not to play last year when they ultimately couldn't play because of COVID-19. I I think Ryan Day, I remember there was a whole thing last year about Jim Harbaugh accused Ohio State of cheating and having coaches at voluntary workouts and they weren't supposed to be there. And then Ryan Day reportedly told his team that Ohio State was going to, quote, hang 100 on them. So I don't quite have Ohio State hanging 100 on them. I'm going about half of 100. But I, I think there's going to be plenty of bad blood in this rivalry. We'll not be surprised if we see things get a little chippy out there. And I'm interested to see one of the things that you were asking some of the players about on Tuesday was just a bunch of new faces kind of getting indoctrinated into this rivalry on Ohio State side, especially on defense. A lot of guys that are going to be key contributors, key playmakers for Ohio State that haven't had the experience in the rivalry because of missing the game last year and some guys just being straight up true freshmen. But even a guy like Haskell Garrett, I mean, in 2019, that was not a guy that was a big star on the Ohio State defense. And now some of those guys like a Zach Harrison, a Haskell Garrett are the veteran leaders and having to kind of indoctrinate these younger guys into the history of the rivalry and things of that nature. Yeah, pretty wild stat that was in Ohio State's game notes on Tuesday. Thayer Munford is the only Ohio State player who's ever started a game against Michigan. He's started against Ohio Michigan twice in both 2018-2019. I actually remember him playing some in that 2017 game as well. But no other Buck current team has started a game against Michigan. That, of course, being a result of what happened last year. Some guys who have played, but a lot of guys who haven't. I mean, for the second year guys on this team, which includes guys like CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, they're playing in their first ever rivalry game. And so certainly I think they understand what comes with the rivalry, 
because they've heard a lot about it for the last two years since they've been at Ohio State. But still, a lot of guys who are going to be playing in this game for the first time. It definitely makes you wonder about just how they're going to handle the emotions of the environment, and especially it being a road game in a very hostile big house environment. I know the one time, the only time I've ever been there was the 2019 game two years ago, and it was just an, an awesome atmosphere to take in. And I'm very happy we're going to be there again. And honestly, this game just makes you look back on last year and be like, that it just wasn't a, it wasn't a true college football season. And we, we already knew that. But I mean, a game like this and just the excitement around it really makes you be like, I'm glad that fans are back. I'm glad that we've had a normal slate of games and we're, we're, things are back to normal this year. Before we jump off here on Monday night, we saw Michi Johnson hit the game winner against Seton Hall. Coming off of an ugly game against Xavier, Ohio State suffering its first loss of a season last Thursday, bouncing back with the win over Seton Hall on Monday. Griffin, what was your takeaway from those two games? Well, first of all, I think responding to the Xavier loss, I think Ohio State did some specific things to really try to make sure that they didn't have a similar showing against Seton Hall, which was they just came out with a different type of intensity in the first half, I felt like. And, and EJ Liddell tried to be try to set the tone a lot more on offense against Seton Hall than he did against Xavier. He ended up with 28 points against Seton Hall, which is already his third 20-point game of the season. Now, the, just the thing with this Ohio State team is they just can't... If they're up in a game, you just have no belief that they're going to separate from an opponent because going back to last season, the postseason run last year, every game came down to the wire. And this season already, we've seen Ohio State have to win on two game-winning shots in the final three seconds of the game. And you got to wonder, is that going to be something that they can continue to keep doing or is it going to kind of bite them in the butt moving forward? And my other thought about the, the whole thing going on right now is just the brutality of this non-conference schedule because several of these teams weren't actually ranked to begin the season, but now you're looking at it. Xavier is a team that is ranked this season at number 25. Ohio State plays them. Seton Hall at number 21. Ohio State's going to move on, on on Wednesday and take on Florida, who I believe is number 23. And then the next game up after that is Duke at number five. I mean, that is just a brutal stretch, especially when your next game after that, you're already starting to play some Big Ten teams. The Buckeyes do not make it easy on you basketball beat writers who have to write recaps that uh, file up a buzzer, do you? No, and I'm really looking forward to it. And they, they gave me one with Bowling Green, but... I'm looking forward to a basketball recap where I'm not in some version of sweating by the final buzzer. That would be nice. But I don't know if that, that's really going to come here in this stretch because all these games are going to be very tough. Yeah, what are you anticipating on Wednesday night with the Fort Myers tip-off championship game, the, uh, the most prestigious of championships as Ohio State plays Florida? Yeah, do they get a, they get a trophy for that or anything like that? Do. I think they do. Well, that, that, that I don't know nice. if anybody will remember it, but... Yeah, no, I don't. Th I don't think they will. I don't even know if they're actually branding it as the the championship game. I think from what I saw, they're just referring to it as the second round or something of a tournament that doesn't lead anywhere. But Florida, yeah, interesting enough. In a twist of fates, Oral Roberts was the team that eliminated both Ohio State and Florida out of the NCAA tournament last year. And as a matter of fact, Ohio State was if Ohio State had beaten Oral Roberts, they would have played Florida in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So they kind of get this in a twist of fates, that matchup again this year. They've got a really good big man. They've got a lot of Big Ten transfers. Every team I've previewed this season just has all these transfer guys as big impact players. They've got a six foot eleven guy. I don't know why his name's escaping me at the moment. They've got a, a six Colin eleven. Colin Castleton, is that who it is? Yes, yes. Colin Castleton. He's a guy. He, he was an all, an all a second team all SEC guy last year. This year he's taken a big step up. I think even from last year, he's going to be a guy that's going to be tough to match up with for Ohio State, I think, because 
I don't really know how it worked out when they had Joey Brunk as the starting center last game, to be completely honest. Yeah, this team's an interesting spot. It's it's hard to tell who their best players are, who... We know EJ Liddell's the best player. We know that. But other than that, there's still a lot of moving parts of this team. It looks like it's still finding itself, and that could continue uh, to be the case for some time. But like you said, uh, we're going to have plenty of opportunities here over the next couple of weeks to really see if this team's made up. I mean, next week, Ohio State plays Duke. So that's going to be a fun one at the shot next Tuesday. Ohio State's got Kentucky a week after that. So we're going to have a lot of opportunities to learn about how good this Ohio State basketball team is here over the next couple weeks. But it's game week. It's Michigan week. Of course, that being our primary focus here this week as Ohio State gets set to head up to Ann Arbor on Friday for the Saturday game at its traditional noon kickoff time on Fox. The Buckeyes will be looking for a record-tying ninth straight win in the rivalry and, of course, to try to clinch a Big Ten East title. And if the Buckeyes can do that, then we'll be off to Indianapolis next week to talk to watch a uh, Big Ten championship game. So we'll see what happens on Saturday, and we'll be back next week to talk about that. I hope everyone out there has a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you all enjoy the game, the rivalry game, on Saturday. And we'll talk to you next week.